my number one thing is that especially when being for that I work with contemporary art sometimes there's some really challenging pieces sometimes yeah. there's some really ugly pieces sometimes there's some shocking pieces and I always tell people like I don't care if you don't like it that's fine yeah. it's totally okay if you hate it I just want you to look and yeah. if you have an emotional response whether it be good or bad somewhere on that spectrum that's all I want right. I just want you to look Happy New Year this is the first episode of 2019 so we're really excited that you're joining us again. We're going to have a bunch of new topics, a bunch of new guests this year. So thanks for sticking it out. Uh, so to kick things off, we have Jennifer Dassel here on the show. Welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah. So uh, Jennifer is a contemporary and modern art curator mm -hmm. at the North Carolina Museum of Art. Right. And she also hosts a podcast. That's right. Uh, could you tell us just a little bit about, you know, kind of what you're doing out there in the art world? Yeah. So I am the curator of modern contemporary art, like you said. And basically we do everything from putting together exhibitions of right. art from, you know, the early part of the 20th century to art now. Yeah. And we try to have a global perspective so that we want to show art that's literally being made right down the street from mm -hmm. the museum and art that's being made on the other side of the world. Right. And so we also are the people who help to recommend purchases or okay. loans and things like that to the museum. So if you see a temporary exhibition, yeah. if it's of newer stuff, usually I'm involved it's usually with, with that. You. Awesome. Yeah, it's a lot and of fun. One of the things you're doing right now is you have a podcast mm -hmm. and it's all about art history and the art world and kind of historical stories about art. Exactly. Um, something that's interesting is uh, I, I went to art school at ECU and art history was one of my least favorite subjects when I started out. And over time, I grew to love it because it kind of connected to what I do as a filmmaker, which is tell stories. And so I eventually realized this is the story of how the art is made. And, you know, whether it's a you know deep depression that an artist was in or a yeah. period of just, you know, rash creativity, trying new things, going wild. You know, there's always a deeper meaning behind the piece. And sometimes that's actually more interesting than the art itself. Yeah. And so um, could you maybe talk about about sort of why that gives you joy and excitement. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I always tell people that no matter what it is, if you tell me a good story about anything, I will be completely on board with yeah. it. So I always say like tape measures, Yeah. not that interesting, but if you want to tell me a great story about a tape measure, I will be just like completely in. <laughs> and I feel that way about art history yeah. because sometimes it can be a little esoteric. Sometimes it feels like people need something to help them understand it or you need a little bit of background to how it was made or why mm -hmm. or what the materials are. There's a lot of different things and sometimes art feels like it can be kept at a distance and I really think that art can be accessible and fun for everybody regardless. There's yeah. there's in my mind, there's a piece of art for everyone, at least one, I'm sure many. Uh, so my hope is that by telling a really good story about art or art history or about the artists themselves, that maybe that'll help people get a little bit more into it. Yeah. So something that I'm interested in as a giant train goes by um, <laughs> is uh, kind of like legacy of an artist. I know that's something that you've talked about. Yeah. I saw your Creative Mornings talk, so that was yeah. really interesting. Um, and, and just sort of that, because I know like a lot of our listeners are artists themselves and, you know, obviously you try not to get too wrapped up into it as a creator when you're making something, but it's always sort of in the back of your mind yeah. saying like, how will this be remembered outside of the, you know, year that it's made or the year that it's released, you know, what will the value be, if any? Right. Um, what, what do you see a lot of times with artists over a historical perspective? Are they thinking about these things or do you think it's case by case? I think it's probably more case by case. Yeah. I think there are a lot of artists who don't really think about yeah. it. And that's true of a lot of artists, especially in the early part of the 20th century when people were really experimenting with what art could be and really yeah. kind of breaking the boundaries and yeah. using different materials and you know new inventions coming along and yeah. changing things. Because a lot of that stuff 
was really good and really, yeah. um, you know, an exciting adventure and experiment, right. but some things don't last the test of time. So it's kind of mm. like um, a little bit of good stuff and bad stuff as people yeah. were not really thinking and just doing. Yeah. There's benefits to that for yeah. sure, but then also the long-term consequences. Um, at the same time, there are artists throughout art history who you can see were really actively mm. involved in like self Mytho mythologizing mm. or myth making yeah. where they're really trying to be very aware of the persona that they were putting out yeah. and you can see that in a lot of um, self-portraits that artists were doing yeah. I think about a lot of women artists in particular who mm -hmm. were doing portraits of themselves and they're wearing like their most beautiful dress and just completely not practical jewelry and collars and then have themselves painting mm -hmm. and it's like oh i'm a lady but yeah. i'm also an artist who's really serious right. about her work and you know they're trying to yeah. make a statement about like yeah i'm a girl but hey i can also be a really good painter right and so it's little things like that throughout time so again i think it is case by case yeah. it's really interesting yeah i mean that's definitely something i feel like as a creative you know you you think about but you just i think a lot of times you can't you know, philosophize on it too much because yeah. it inhibits what you're currently trying to do. I totally get that. I'm not an artist myself and I only have respect for people who are because it's hard work. Yeah. And to be in that headspace can be really difficult. Mm -hmm. And so when something like that comes in, I could see that that would be interfering in some yeah. way. Um, another thing I, we talked about with our last guest, Alex Aff, we were talking about mental health and he was a hip hop artist and he was talking about putting that into lyricism. Yeah. Um, as a, in, in your talk that you gave at the Creative Morning, you had this really interesting connection um, between mental health and creatives and maybe not so much that they suffer more, but they're more empathetic. And so therefore yeah. they kind of run on that hamster wheel a little bit longer. Yeah, uh, that was something that it's, I think the whole field about like genius studies, mm -hmm. I don't even know if that's a right term, but considering- The tortured artist. Yeah, or, yeah, that I think is very much a myth. And that really started at the end of the 19th century with Vincent van Gogh, okay. because I think artists up to really the 19th century, a lot of the artists that we know throughout history were actually very successful because mm. they were they were well known and they stand at the test of time because they had really important people backing them like kings, king, queens, emperors, mm. very rich people. So they actually made fairly good livings. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until art became, I guess, more popular, excuse mm -hmm. me, is the wrong word, but it's uh, um, something that people were doing, not necessarily always yeah. for the rich, but right. for, themselves for themselves also. Yeah. yeah. And so people like to use Van Gogh as a really yeah. strong symbol of that. And Van Gogh had a lot of stuff going yeah. on, some not great things. He had health issues. No one's really quite sure yeah. exactly what he suffered from, but it could have been epilepsy, depression, a combination of mm -hmm. a whole bunch of things. And uh, I think it just served to help people say like, oh, poor Vincent Van Gogh. And uh, that's where that myth really stems from, I think. And mm -hmm. it's hard to let go of that, that idea of the artist as being someone who has to be kind of crippled yeah. or somebody doing their best work only when they're in pain. Yeah. because. It could be true. It could also not be true. Yeah. It's on a you know a personal basis, a case by right. case basis. Well, and, and something else I've noticed uh, lately, and I think it's because of like social media culture and and you know people being able to show the process, is there's a lot of artists out there, um, and and I even did this myself a couple years back when I was making a feature film. I was talking about I slept four hours a night for a year, and yeah. you know I was not bragging about it, but just saying like, it's, it is what it is, do what you gotta do. Um, yeah. Because I wanted to make this deadline. And over time I sort of realized that it was very self-imposed 
And I think a lot of artists do that to themselves where they, they just say it needs to be done by this time. So I will just, you know, burn the mid, mid the midnight oil yeah. to the nth degree. Yeah. Um, and, and I think there's a lot to be said about taking care of yourself as an artist and, and self-care, because I think I've found lately that I create much better. I, I have better ideas when I'm not a zombie totally. or when I'm not, you know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can relate to that personally yeah. just on a podcaster level. Yes. Because I... For, you put out very consistent work. I try to, um, but I originally began the show putting out an episode every two weeks, mm-hmm. period, straight through. And I did it for a year. And... I made it happen, but it was not a good time as far as being personally happy because I felt under pressure all the time. And again, it was self-imposed. And I finally had to step back and say like, I'm gonna stop doing this if I don't do something about it just for me personally. I agree, Mm -hmm. I think self-care is a really big thing and it's really important. Yeah, and and it's something that's coming up more and more now in society, which I'm I'm glad. Um, But it is something that, you know, I've talked to a few guests about and I think a lot of people are kind of coming to their own realization of what that means personally for them and then also on a much broader societal level. And by no means do I think it's easy. I mean, just on speaking about me personally, I have a full-time job. I do the podcast on the side, which is almost like a full-time job, it feels like. very much. (laughs) And then I have a a toddler at home too, which is also (laughs) a serious effort. It's like a living human. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Hard work, you guys. So (laughs) good, but hard. Yeah. so it's uh it's really important right. to step back and you know there are days and weeks and months where I do a really bad job of stepping back but I have to in order to try to recover some of that semblance mm-hmm. of sanity. Yeah. And and I think that semblance of sanity is what's going to lead you. I always think back to like the the origin points of different films I've made or podcast projects and I was always in a not always, but usually in a very good headspace when they start. Yes. And it's usually as they go on for an extended period of time that I start to get drained and let it wear me down. So I try to think, you know, you have those great ideas when you start and trying to maintain whatever that formula is for you. And it's going to be different for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the energy, there is an energy when you get excited about the idea of a new project that it's hard to sustain that level of energy, but that energy is also what will give you the impetus to stay excited, to keep going. So it's hard to balance that. Yeah. But it's definitely worth it. Yeah. If you can. Yes. We, we have a plane full of people coming to join the podcast. <laughs> yes. um, until they get here, another question that I had was um, just sort of like, how does working at a uh, more formal setting in a museum um, influence the way you look at art out in the world? Because I'm always very curious because I went Ooh. to art school and I have, you know, that education, but I, I'm assuming working in a museum, that's just furthering that. Yeah. And, and it changes the way I see everything, whether it's a commercial or yeah. a film or a painting. Um, do, do you just always break things down? You know, I think I probably do to a degree, yeah. but I don't know if I'm conscious about it all yeah. the time. I think sometimes I get more into the details of how a work is being shown. Okay. So it's like, I go to a museum or a gallery and I'm the person who's looking at the wall color, I'm looking at the lights right. and I'm being, you know, I'm looking and saying like, oh, they spent a lot of money on the design of this gallery. Are the conditions <laughs> yeah, yes, suitable? Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh. No, it's such a museum nerd thing where you're, I've been to a, a couple um, institutions just out of the country in the last yeah. few years and you walk in and it's 80 yeah. degrees and you, the windows are open and you're like, oh my gosh, the paintings, <laughs> they're suffering right, right now. And it's like... It totally yeah. imposes. Yeah. It's just a different way to look at art, and uh, 
for sure, I think that also kind of takes away right. from me actually looking at the art because I'm looking sort of around the art, if that makes any sense. Very much. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, I do that a lot with films. I mean, just through film school, I, I haven't been able to go like watch a movie, whether it's a good movie or a bad movie, without it being like there's like a mental exercise going on in totally. the background. And it's actually kind of interesting sometimes where, um, you know, pre-film school, if I would get dragged to a movie with my parents or something that I didn't want to see, it would just be like, oh God, I can't wait to get out of here. But yeah. now, even if I'm watching a movie that I have zero interest in or maybe not as much of an interest in, I can sort of watch it from a technical standpoint and get through the movie in a way. Which That's kind of nice. Is, it's, it is, yeah. which is funny, um, you know. I don't really love to seek out a bad movie just because I have so little free time <laughs> that I want to watch good movies. Yeah. But, you know, when it happens occasionally or if, you know, you go to one and it ends up not being what you thought, there is a way to watch it and almost learn from it, which I think is kind of interesting. And I assume I the like same that. is with any piece. Yes. You know? I would say it took me so much time to get to a point where I don't go into a museum yeah. and I feel the need to stand and look at every single thing and read every single wall label. And mm -hmm. I started realizing that I wasn't remembering remembering anything at all. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really enjoying anything at all. And at the end of the day, I would be so exhausted. And mm -hmm. it was like, it felt like a futile exercise. Yeah. There was no enjoyment at all in it. And it does get to the point where sometimes I will walk into a room at a museum and just look around and be like, yeah, great, and move on. Yeah. So it's sort of, again, this kind of double-edged sword. It's like, I feel like it's hard for me to either give and see everything mm. or I either see nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's hard I, to find that middle ground. I had the ground. same kind of effect. I went to MoMA for the first time last year. Yeah. And I, I think I only had, I, well, we were there on a like video shoot and yes. we were doing this promo video and it was about these students that were going through. So we just need like one quick shot um, outside. But then we had 45 minutes free and they said, you can go in for 45 minutes. I'm like, how do you do that for 45 minutes? I know. That's just scratching the I surface. Know. It's and, so hard. And I felt like I had just wandered into a buffet and I felt this need to just fill my plate. I know. You know and oh, it was and overwhelming. Sometimes there's that moment where you're like, well, maybe I have to just look in one more room because yeah. one more gallery could have the best piece. And I don't yeah. know. I have to go check. It's it's a struggle. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's definitely something to think about just in today's world where, you know, everyone's work is out there online. Yeah. I have a lot of questions about current day things that you may find interesting because of your historical perspective. Yeah. Um, today, there's a lot of shock culture and a lot of outrage and people make things for attention. There's an attention economy, yeah. whether it's in the art world or not. Um, do you see any sort of historical precedence for that? Is this human nature or is this just an era we're in? Because I find a lot of things are, so are shock good. value. I think there is a little bit of that yeah. at least, oh gosh, I would say at least 19th century. But now that I'm thinking about it, it definitely yeah. goes back a little bit further. Yeah. Because people definitely still want to grab attention. Mm -hmm. And shocking is sometimes the best way to really get that attention and get it fast. Right. And it's like the whole thing about no presses, no you know, bad press is still press. Right. And a lot of people think of these really, really shocking art pieces really being like 80s to now. Mm -hmm. um, but there are a lot of shocking works in art history that have really been around for so long that I think we forget that they were shocking. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I always think about is just on a personal level, um, I grew up kind of looking and knowing information a little bit about the French Impressionists like Claude Monet and yeah. Pierre Renoir. A lot of the stuff that I would see kind of around the house with like posters yeah. my mom liked. Sure. And I always just thought like, oh, that's a beautiful flower. How boring. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in paintings of flowers that just 
doesn't excite me at all. And it wasn't until I was taking art history that I learned that the Impressionists were kind of subversive badasses. Mm -hmm. And they were really counterculture. They were Mm -hmm. very against tradition and everything that had come before. And everybody hated them at first. All the critics, viewers, um, you know, basically Paris was entirely against them. And then I think today it's one of the things that if you really want to do a museum exhibition and get a ton of people in, just have an Impressionism Mm -hmm. show. Mm -hmm. People love it because it's pretty, Mm -hmm. but you forget that it kind of had this fiery Mm -hmm. background. So I think the whole thing about shock art and experimentation definitely go hand in hand. But then I think also about painters who, like at the end of the 19th century, early 20th century, did things not just to experiment and switch things up, but to actually really make people angry. I've I've noticed both in my own work and also sort of in in a trend currently with film and some photography and things like that that I've noticed there's a lot of uh, people dabbling with surrealism right now yeah and I think part of it I've read that people a lot of people turn to surrealism at all points in time but a lot of people also turn to surrealism when they don't like what's happening in reality and I think that's a fair assessment for today for a lot of folks and what would you say on a maybe historical perspective or just sheer observation towards today? Yeah, I think I can definitely speak better to yeah. the historical perspective, sure. but I think you're totally right. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is kind of the predecessors to surrealism were in the early 1910s, 19 teens, mm-hmm. was a group of artists who were engaged in something called Dada, yeah. which was basically like nonsensical, completely mm-hmm. nonsensical. And they really fed into who the surrealists and that surrealist trend would become, where they were starting to do everything from like cutting up a picture and throwing it in the Mm. air and then grabbing the pieces and then being like, oh, I made this collage, now it's done. And it's taking things like chance, dreams, even things like alchemy and magic and kind of like tapping the tables came into it. Right, seeing what might stick because they were challenging what it could be. Totally. And part of that that I think is really interesting is some of the things that I've read about Dada and surrealism is that in that early time when it was starting to Mm. develop, it was right at the cusp of World War One. So Uh, you think about Europe, especially in France and Germany and Switzerland, where they was coming together. I mean, they that was horrible. It was in the middle of the war starting the biggest war in history. And it basically felt to society like Mm -hmm. everything is nuts. So why not create art that's nuts? because there's no sense and there's no reason. Right. Yeah. Um, something I'm also curious about, as, as a curator, yeah. um, I'm assuming you sort of have a say in pieces that go up and things like that. Yes. What What do you search for? Uh, I know we have artists that are you know always curious about that process of, you know, making but also finding their place in the art world. Yeah. I can say, first of all, that that is a hard question and it's something that I even can struggle I think to put into words and I'm really interested in seeing people who may not have had a chance to make art 10 years ago starting to come to the forefront I think there's a lot more opportunities for people who aren't big names to really start making a big impact I've seen the same thing within the film world is that you know I think it's with the accessibility I think the internet has sort of democratized everything totally to where you know we can make a podcast it doesn't take you know millions of dollars or anything crazy I mean you can do it yeah um, anywhere and you know like the fact that 
you can make a name for yourself really wherever you have an access point or a computer. Right. If you work hard enough and find, you know, find what's going to click and you yeah. may, you may have an easier time in New York city than perhaps Billings, Montana, but there is an opportunity if you find the niche. Yeah. And so, exactly. Yeah. And getting the attention is yeah. easier and harder than ever, I yes. think, because it's that same double-edged sword of... It's those algorithms, too. Yeah, it's like <laughs> social trending? media. Yeah. You can show your work to anyone across yeah. the world, but also so is so are 80 other million people. It's yeah. hard. So yeah. I guess like from a like curating standpoint, where, where do you see that going with the internet um, and maybe the function of both museums when, you know, someone could say, oh, I could... Google an image, you yeah, know? and I know that sounds ridiculous, yeah. but no, I get that. Some people may not think so. Seeing an, an artwork in person mm -hmm. is it's a totally different experience, and plus, seeing something on your phone that's this big, yes, <laughs> it's really hard. I've had uh, <laughs> this conversation so many times. Again, I liken everything back to film because it's what I do. Yeah, but I, I sort of hearken that to saying. You know, why would I go to a movie theater when I can just wait six months and watch it on my phone screen yeah. at home on my couch? But that's not, it's never yeah. the same. No. It, and, you know, in a little pair of headphones isn't going to give you oh, the gosh. auditory experience. And, you know, when the when the bass trebles the whole theater, you're not going to get that. Yeah. You know? and, and I'm not saying everyone has to see everything in a gallery or theater, because I understand, like, sometimes you may not have the means to. Right. Um, but if you do, I would always recommend yeah. trying if you can. And there's also that communal experience, yes. too. I know there's also a different communal experience of, you know, like, being able to live tweet something. Sure. But sure. being able to see something in a theater, hear somebody gasp next to you or laugh at the same time, yeah. it's a way to kind of bond together on right. that human level again. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's so much of what art can be is when it's communal. Yeah. Um, because, you know, when I just Google an image or, a, you know, painting, I can look at it and kind of make my own assumptions, but 10, 20 seconds go by and then maybe I move on to whatever I have to do yeah. or the stoplight changes, you know. <laughs> exactly. When I go to a museum and I'm forced to be in that setting where, you know, your phone is not encouraged to be out. Right. Um, you know, you might be with a significant other or a friend or it could be a special experience. Um, it, it could just be one of those things that makes a lifetime of impression. Right. And, exactly. and I think that can be, you know, you can tie memories to art. A lot of times I tie memories of music to where I was when a song came out, yes. where I was in my life. Absolutely. And if I hear that song again, I'll think back to where was I? How old was I? What was going on? Yeah. And I think the same can be said for paintings and film and so much more. Yeah. Something about art, and I think it's a really deep conversation. Sure. That's and what this show really is for. No, that's what the show is for. But art, especially art museums, has been, I think, off limits to a lot of people for a long time mm. because of the cost of going to an art museum. So thinking about the Met, which I love, it's like no, no harm to the Met there, but they have a policy where they're charging 20 or $25 a ticket. And it used to be on a donation level mm. and they've stopped doing that. So think about a family of four wanting to go see the Met. That's $100. That's not cheap. That's a lot. Yeah. And uh, there's been this real pushback for many, many years about museums not being really democratic in that way. I see. And people also, I think, feel like art is harder to get into than film or music or dance or anything like that. It almost feels like people need a little extra help, mm. which is, again, one of the reasons I came with the podcast. But uh, part of this is that I really want art to become more open and more accessible. And part of that is also people coming in and just enjoying it differently. Mm -hmm. um, 
and also maybe not feeling the pressure to look at everything again yes, yes. and not feeling like you have to like it is mm. the other thing because I know a lot of people yeah. feel like why don't I like this is there yeah. something wrong with me well I think a lot of times with uh, with anything really but I think especially with historical pieces when they're maybe over a hundred years old or something yeah. um, people feel like oh it's a classic I need to like it or else I am uncultured swine of the world totally. or whatever, you know. And that is not true. Yeah. And my number one thing is that especially when being for that I work with contemporary art, sometimes there's some really challenging pieces. Sometimes yeah. there's some really ugly pieces. Sometimes there's some shocking pieces. And I always tell people, like, I don't care if you don't like it. That's fine. Yeah. It's totally okay if you hate it. I just want you to look. And yeah. if you have an emotional response, whether it be good or bad, somewhere on that spectrum, that's all I want. Right. I just want you to look. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, coming to your own conclusion, because, you know, any anytime I make something or anyone makes something, I don't think the goal is supposed to be a rave review every time. In right. fact, a lot of my favorite movies um, or pieces of work, um, music, anything really, it's stuff that a lot of times people are divided on. Like if you, you know, I hate to Amazon review the situation, <laughs> but know. you know, the three stars on Amazon is the most interesting to me because what you'll see, yeah. a lot of one stars, a lot of five stars. And then it's like, what happened in the middle to get to that point? Yeah. So and I can imagine that the person who's writing a three star review is probably, <laughs> I don't know for sure, but maybe thinking about things a little more thoroughly than perhaps the rare know. moderate person. <laughs> <Yes>, who knows? Exactly. <laughs> who knows? No, it's true. And I think I'm um, just thinking about art differently yeah. or, or looking into that experience mm. differently. Um, yeah, I want people to look and they don't have to like it, but they can also feel like they can come up with their own interpretation. Mm. I think that's also something that's been hard about art mm -hmm. over the years is people think that there's only one way yeah. to look or yeah. to understand or to interpret a painting. Yeah. And it's and sometimes that's hard when you're reading a wall label and the wall label says like, this painting is about X. Mm. And you're like, well, okay, I, I guess don't see it. that's it. Yeah. And then you just kind of go home. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite, if I can indulge in like my favorite of story course. of the museum, was we have this picture. Um, it's a German uh, expressionist painting. So it's from like the 19 teens, 1920s. Okay. It's not a work that I have in my personal background. Sure. But it's just sort of this kind of half abstract painting of a woman. It's called Portrait of Emmy. And she's got like these big round circle eyes and just kind of leaning forward with her, her fist up to her chin. And you can tell it's a woman, but it's not like mm -hmm. photorealistic in any right. way. And one day I was walking through the galleries and there was a teacher or a docent and she was saying like, oh, what do you see here? And it was a group of little kids, like mm -hmm. maybe five, six, kindergarten or first grade. And one little girl raised her hand and she said, I see a clown puppy. I was like, that is the best thing I've ever heard. That is my favorite interpretation. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, nothing yeah. wrong with it. And it makes me so happy. And every time I see that painting, I say, clown puppy. It's exactly what it is. <laughs> and it's stuck with you. Yeah, and <laughs> she it may will not forever. Even remember it, but you do. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's, that's what's cool is like you could say something and you may even be like, oh, it wasn't that big a deal, but it could touch someone else. Exactly. You know? And it's it spreads joy. Yeah. Like, don't yeah. feel like your impersonation or your impression or your interpretation is something that's wrong. It could actually make someone really happy. You can just come in and look at something and you say, like, I like the blue in that sky. Yeah. Move on. And that's what you need. That's fine. <laughs> and that's, yeah. Totally fine. You can go a la carte with it. I think people yeah. forget that. Exactly. No, I, yeah. I think it's hard because people feel like they either need to get into it all, like it all, understand it all, or don't come yeah. at all. Yeah. 
the whole presentation of museums is something that really interests me. Um, my brother and I, this past summer, we took a trip to Denver and we ended up just wandering around downtown as people do when you take trips. Yeah. And we had never heard of this museum, but we ended up at the Clifford Still Museum. Yeah. And this was an artist that, you know, once we got there, I was like, oh yeah, I sort of remember like one or two of the works from yeah. my art history class, but really I had no knowledge. I was going in as a blank canvas. And the way the museum was laid out was really interesting because it was presented in a historical perspective of his work. Oh, yeah. So you start from the very beginning and you end up at the very end. Yeah. And so by the time you're out of the museum, it takes about an hour to go through. You've seen the entire body of work nice. of this guy's life. And it's guiding you specifically in yeah. that direction so you don't backtrack. Yeah, and, it, and it's a square. So you're basically, you start at one point of the square and you go to another room. Nice. Every room represents roughly 10, 20 years. I might get that slightly wrong. Yeah. But you know, it's all an era and then you see it evolve and change. And yeah. there was this moment I had where, you know, we just wandered in there and, you know, my brother is a lot more um, mathematically minded than I am. And mm -hmm. so a lot of times, you know, he appreciates art, but in a different way. Yeah. Um, and I remember he, I had to drag him from behind. I'm like, are you ready to go to the next one? Cause he was taking his own time and eventually we yeah. just, disconnected from each other. We didn't even talk to each other almost the whole hour we were there because we were each taking it in in a different way. And I remember when we got out of that museum, we just looked to one another. We we're like, that was incredible. Like oh, it was just man. such a powerful experience. And, yeah. you know, I didn't go in there being like, this is the Clifford still. I just yeah. went in there saying, you know, I'd love to see this museum. It looks fascinating. Sometimes I feel like those are my favorite museums are the yeah. things that I know nothing about. So yeah. this is a long time ago. It was like 12 or 13 years ago. I went into a museum in Croatia of all places. And it was like, I can't even remember what exactly it was, but it was more like Croatian folk art. I know nothing about Croatian yeah. art. Yeah. And so <laughs> it was just me being like, oh, let's see what this is about. Yeah. And it has stuck with me for many yeah. years because I didn't have any preconceived notions or yeah. familiarity. It was just sort of like, oh, let's check it out. Cool. Right. Well, it's like the few times when I see a movie, but I don't see the trailer. Yeah. That very oh, yeah. rarely happens, but occasionally it does. And it's so nice because sometimes trailers spoil so much and, and you know it's nice to go in and just be like we'll see what happens see you on the other side you know <laughs> nice, yeah. and, and it's rare because today you know marketing demands what it does and you need to kind of build an audience and obviously trailers and you know promo is important yeah um but the you know i think the magic sometimes is in in the unknown is in the unknown totally yeah. totally um, yeah, and I, you just talking about how you and your brother kind of yeah. split, that's actually my favorite way yeah. to see art is when I can see it by myself. Yeah. Because when I'm looking at it with another person, I think I get a little too mm -hmm. concerned about, am I looking at something too long? Yeah. And do I need to hurry? And yeah. do you have to go eat something? And yeah. It's like There's you get a whole caught thing. up. Yeah, and I think it's not just with art, it's with anything. It's like, especially if something that you're really passionate about. Yeah. Um, but looking at art on my own yeah. and doing it as quickly as I want or as slow as I want. Yeah. But there is something to be said. Occasionally it happens where I'll just end up at a matinee by myself oh, when I, I have four free hours. I love going to see movies by myself. It, it's so oh, underrated. More people so need good. to do it. I know. And see concerts by yourself. Oh. If you have an artist, don't be afraid to go by yourself. That yes. happened to me like two years ago. And I was really self-conscious about it because I was always thinking, you know, a concert, you got to go with someone yeah. or it's awkward. You don't know anyone. You're just there. Yeah. It was actually one of the best concerts I'd ever been to. Pro tip to all you single people out there. I met my husband doing that exact there thing. There you go. Going to a concert by myself. He went to a concert by himself. 
look at the draw, we stood next it to each other. It worked out. There you go. Okay, so mm -hmm. very much a pro tip. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's like that or just the fact that you can just enjoy it and you don't have to, it, it's actually yeah. freeing because you can go wild and crazy oh. and dance and do whatever you want. Like no one knows you. Yeah, like, <laughs> you just get you know? to have fun. Yeah, well, and, and like that's one version and like a movie theater and a museum, that's a different thing. But like whether, you know, wherever you fall in that spectrum, like don't be afraid to experience what you want to experience if it demands you doing it by yourself. Because yeah. a lot of times it's like, you have Sunday free, but no one else does. And then you've got three weeks of work ahead of you. So why not go see it on that Sunday? <laughs> yeah, you exactly. Because then you may not see it. I think it's like the bottom line yeah. in general with a lot of what I've been thinking about art and culture as a yeah. whole. It's like, if it works for you, great. And if it doesn't, yes. also great, fine. Yeah. You don't have to like everything. You don't have to see everything. <laughs> Just do it if you want. And yeah. if you don't, that's cool too. Well, you know, m mad respect to everyone who reviews things, but I couldn't do it just because that would be my outlook, whether it, it's, um, you know, anything. I would just be like, I didn't like it, but I'm not saying you shouldn't. Right. Like, I would be the worst <laughs> reviewer. I just, I don't know, because I just have a reverence and respect for the creative process. Yeah. Like, you know, m my work is probably not everyone's cup of tea, and that's cool. Like, I don't need endless ad, you know, adoration. And I don't yeah, think yeah. anyone really does. I just think, you know, that's what it boils down to. <laughs> like yeah. if it works for you. I know. And you know, you know. That's, that reminds me about the fact that sometimes I do, um, I jury exhibitions yeah. for around town. Like, yeah. um, you know, other arts organizations will ask me to come in. I've worked for the state fair before. Oh, cool. And I love the state fair. I know. <laughs> hey, state fair. Fried food. <laughs> oh my gosh. Always. <laughs> um, and you know, they will have all the submissions mm. and I'll go through them. And sometimes I get asked, you know, like I worked really hard on this piece yeah. and you didn't accept it and I just want to know why. And sometimes it's really hard because it's really yeah. personal and obviously I never want to hurt anybody's feelings ever. And that is yeah. probably one of the hardest parts of my job is yeah. having to say no to artists. But I think what I want a lot of people to know is that for sure it's totally, it's not personal towards the artist, it's personal towards me. Mm -hmm. And just because I don't accept something or maybe it's not my cup of tea, mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it won't be so sincerely loved by someone mm -hmm. else. Something else I would add to that is uh, doing film festivals over the years. Yeah. I have gotten so many rejections. Um, I, you know, I've been able to play some really incredible festivals too over time. And a lot of times I will keep applying over years. And I think what happens is people say, oh wow, they've applied, you know, five years ago or this and they, they're consistent. And I think being able to, you know, appreciate your work, but but being able to move on from it. Because yeah. sometimes I think artists are very clinging to work. And I think sometimes it's fair to say, this this represented me in an era and I'm a better artist now. Yeah. And I shouldn't cling to this one style. And you know, I, I think artists should always take uh, an account of where they are and say, you know, is this the best work I'm making or yeah. is that idea that I've been shelving maybe the best work that I could be making? Yeah, so. I think that's a really wise viewpoint and it's a hard viewpoint. It I is. don't know that everybody always gets there, but I think it's such a good thing to be in that headspace. Yeah, because I, I've just come to the conclusion that it's a healthier way to view it. Yeah. Because, you know, you can't, I've stopped wrapping my, as much as I can, you know, my works are personal, but, you know, I've stopped trying to put so much of me into everything and say mm -hmm. that it's it's what I did in a period of time. It's yeah. like a time capsule. Yeah. And so, you know, that would be a tip to any artist out there. <gasps> we have lighting. Let there be light. <laughs> Let there be light. <laughs> as I finish that illuminating tip. There you go. Um, that's good to know that we have a free light up there. <laughs> um, yes. So 
kind of to wrap things up, um, the last question I ask everyone, and you may have a very interesting viewpoint on this since uh, you are coming from the curation standpoint, mm -hmm. um, you know, as a creative, what are you currently working on and maybe struggling with that you maybe want to reapproach or are currently reapproaching oh. in your process? Oh my gosh. Because I think as it creatives, a really it's, a, it's a hard road out there. <laughs> yeah. And I think if we share, it becomes less difficult. Sure. And I think we feel less alone. Yeah. And I think connecting to the mental health thing at the top of the show. Yeah. I, I think artists should feel empowered by other artists out there struggling because oh you're gosh. not alone. Like so not alone. I mean, even yeah. I think we're we're all in the same boat. Yeah. Whether or not you're a maker or not a maker. Like I'm not a maker except for a podcast, but I think it's a little bit different. Oh no, that's that's an art in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard. And it's hard to carve out that time and mm -hmm. take care of yourself. And I think just following up with what you were just saying about being able to let things go yeah. and to step back. I think that's one of the most important things. That's definitely. Definitely something I'm having struggling with myself right now. Yes. Yeah. 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 I would say definitely also, um, I, I'm looking just to get more involved with the artistic community in Raleigh. It's something that I care about yeah. and it's something that I have been a part of, at least in part in the past. Yeah. And uh, then I had a baby and things get a little bit harder. And so for me personally, I'm struggling because I want to try to move forward and get yeah. out more and make more connections, yeah. see more good stuff. Yeah. I'm yeah. Very much the same. I'm mm -hmm. from Raleigh, but I spent time in uh, Louisiana for a little bit and I was away and then I came back and then I was like, wow, Raleigh changed, and, <laughs> no. you know, and, uh, and it's cool because I've been back for about a little over a year now. Um, and like, you know, the Raleigh I grew up in is very much gone, but there's mm -hmm. this new Raleigh that I'm very excited about. And there's so many people from all over. And I think there's such a unique opportunity now yeah. for creatives and just really everyone um, to connect and find people who are interested in doing what they're doing and, and yeah. just collaborate and make stuff. Oh my gosh. I would say that I, I've been here 10 years, but before that I lived in Pennsylvania in Indiana and then I'm originally from California. Okay. So I've kind of been, yeah. you know, a little bit around the country, sure. not obviously all the way, but I made would your say way east. Yeah. very slowly, <laughs> we made my way east, but I would say that this art community, a creative community, mm -hmm. cultural community yeah. is the best that I've seen yet yeah. because the amount of support yeah. and collaboration and just general kind of goodwill yeah. towards everyone I've never seen anything quite like it this yeah. is a very special community in my eyes it really is and with the podcast I've started to find that because I'm yes. connecting with so many creative people and I found that you know while it may not be you know New York City where there's just creatives oozing out of the wall the people who are here are, are so humble and so nice and like if you ask for something you'll usually get an email back and yeah. like it's it's not gonna be oh how dare you you know no I think people like you said they're really yeah. willing to give and to share and yeah. hopefully that's something that continues and gets even stronger yeah absolutely yeah. um well Jennifer this was awesome thank, thank you so much for coming on the show this is so much fun yeah, thank you so much absolutely um where can folks uh, keep up with you and your podcast and work and everything like that yeah so uh the podcast is at artcuriouspodcast.com okay. I'm also on Twitter Instagram the whole deal at artcuriouspod and then I'm at the museum North Carolina Museum of Art awesome. come by anytime go check out some works uh, <laughs> awesome well thank you again yeah, so much thank you yeah and uh if you guys would like to check out more episodes of the show definitely subscribe on itunes leave us a review uh video versions always on youtube and of course if you need to ask questions i'm always happy to answer at mr evan kid on twitter rocksetproductions.com thanks again guys we'll see you next time <laughs>